Second Peter chapter one, we're going to finish up our, our series that we've been uh, in, Becoming More Like Christ, uh, Sanctification. So Second Peter chapter one, then if you'll find 1 Corinthians 13 and mark that in your Bible with your ribbon or, or your prayer bulletin or whatever you might have there, we'll go over there here just shortly. But we're going to read, <clears throat> excuse me, in First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, initially, and then we'll move on here in just a little while. So once you find that, if you'll stand with me for the reading of the Word of God in honor of God's Word, we'll get right on into it. Second Peter, chapter number one, and verse number one. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, <clears throat> add your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity." For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. <clears throat> well, we've gone through virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness, and we're down to the most important one, I believe, and that's charity which we know as love. And uh, we've taken steps we're talking about sanctification. Well, I thought sanctification was all about, I thought sanctification was all about being separated from this world. Well, it is, it is. But true sanctification starts here. And without it starting here, it'd never be true sanctification. No, it's got to come from here. If not, it's just all the outward. And if it was just all the outward, then we might as well just label ourselves Pharisee. Because it's all about what we're doing. Come on, not about who we are. Come on, the, the outward's important too, but we're dealing, well, where we need to deal with. Because if the heart's not right, nothing else is going to be where it needs to be. And sanctification really is, yes, it's us being set apart from the world to God. So it's not good enough that we set ourselves apart from the world if we're not setting ourselves unto God. It's so very important. And uh, what we're going to address tonight, well, I've just titled it Learning, Learning to Love. <clears throat> Doesn't the Bible say that God is love? <laughs> um, I know we're independent Baptists and everything, but we don't have to be afraid of love. 
I mean, we are to love people. And uh, I think that it's going to be very clear as we get into this message how important it is. So let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, one last time, we just ask for your guidance, your power, that unction, clarity of thought, please. I need your help there and clarity of speech that this message might be preached just the way that you'd have it done. And I pray that your precious spirit would arrest the attention of the listeners, whether we're right here in this sanctuary or by live stream. And I pray that you'd speak to us tonight and help us, Lord, help us in our walk with you, in our life that's lived for you. Help us use your word tonight in a mighty way, God, to touch our hearts. We pray you will. We're trusting you to do what you can only do. Bless and, bless and meet with us now, we pray, please, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing, and do be seated. <clears throat> it tells us early in this chapter where we read tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're to add to our faith. That's once we're saved by the grace of God. It's important. There came a day in your life, if you are saved by the grace of God, there came a day in your life where God gave you enough faith that you could believe the gospel. No, no, no. It's a gift of God. That faith that God gave you. God gave you that faith to believe. Anybody here ever see Jesus face to face? If you raise your hand, I'm worried about you. One of these days we'll get to see him face to face. And I look forward to that. But God gave us enough faith one day to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ came, lived a virtuous life, died for us, was laid in a tomb, rose again. Come on, God gave us enough faith. And we're to add to our faith. What are we supposed to add to our faith? Virtue. That's a willingness to please God. I'm telling you, you'll never go any further in your Christian life if you don't have a willingness to please God. Oh, no, no, no. You can be saved by the grace of God and just stay right there in baby stage for the rest of your born again days. If you don't have a willingness to please God, you have to, no, no, we have to have a heart for God. We have to have a willingness to please God because God is not going to make us do anything. God wants us to do what he tells us to do through his word because we love him because he first loved us. Absolutely so. So we add to our faith virtue and then to virtue knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the Bible. That's how we know how to live. Come on, I mean, I mean, if we have a willingness to please God, surely we want to know what God would have us to do. Somebody say amen right there. I want to make sure you're awake on this Wednesday night service because I believe this is a very, very important message and I want us to get tuned in right from the start. We have to have a willingness to please God and then we have to have knowledge of what God would have us to do. That's why we have to stay in our Bible. That's why I stay on you all the time. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I'll, go, I'll continue to do that. I've had people gripe before. All he ever preaches about, read your Bible. No, that's prob- No, that's not all I ever preach about, but that's probably all that they ever hear because they're not reading their Bible. Yeah, no, no, no. We have, to, we have to have knowledge of what God would have us to do if we are going to live the way that God would have us to live. So a willingness to please God, a knowledge of the Bible to know how to live, and then temperance, and that's just a, a determination to keep doing what we're supposed to do, a determination to live right. I mean, come on. If we have a willingness to please God and he begins to speak to us about what we're supposed to do, then we have to be willing to practice that, don't we? Come on, I mean temperance, that temperance we need in our life. That we get up each day and say, Lord, help me today. I'm not going to be able to do this without you. Help me to do all the things that you would have me to do. Help me to not do any things that you wouldn't have me to do. Come on, we have to put that into practice, don't we? Because once again, God's not going to make us do anything. We have to practice this temperance. We have to add it to our life. We have to decide that we love God more than we love anything else. Come on, it's first and great commandment that we love God more than we love anything else and we are going to do those things that we, he would have us to do and to temperance patience. That's the, where, that's the wherewithal to keep doing right because once you start doing right, are you listening to me? Look up here. Once you start doing right, there's going to come test. There's going to come trials. There's going to come temptation to walk away and not do it anymore. I thought this was going to be a lot easier. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say it's going to be easy. But boy, I tell you, it's worth it. Whatever God would have us to do. Well, I tell you, I got saved and I started losing friends. Well, they probably weren't friends then. 
Well, I got saved and now it doesn't seem like I can do what I used to do. That's probably a good thing too. Come on, God. No, 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 no. God's not your enemy. God is not some vindictive old guy up there that said, I'm going to take all their fun away from them. So they'll just have a miserable life for the rest of their time. No, but as you try to live for God in this world that does not care anything about God, I guarantee you, you're going to need patience to continue to do that day after day. Come on, no, no, as you begin to practice it, you have a willingness to please God, you have knowledge of what God wants you to do, you're you're practicing that temperance, doing what God wants you to do, guess what? You're going to need patience because people are going to come against you, your own flesh will come against you, the devil's going to fight you tooth and nail, you have to decide that you are going to patiently, patiently do what God would have you to do. And then to patience, godliness. And certainly that's a, that's, a, that's a holiness. It's purging your life of that which would be bad because of your love for God. Come on, I'm going to get these things out of my life. Why, why don't you do this anymore? Because I'm trying to please God. Why don't you go here anymore? Why don't you listen to that anymore? Why don't you talk like that anymore? Because I want to please God. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. I want to be the person that he would have me to be. Well, how come? Because he saved my soul from hell. Because I never have to go to hell. I never have to worry about that. That's something that I can lay my head down on my pillow every night and know if my heart stops beating during the night, then I will be in the presence of the Lord. I will not have to even ever smell the fires of hell. Nothing. Hallelujah. We do that because God saved our soul. Amen. And godliness, brotherly kindness. And that's a sincere desire to get along with your brothers and sisters in Christ, which we're going to touch here in just a moment a little bit more, and then add to brotherly kindness, charity. And of course, we know that that word charity there is love. It's, it's love. The final steps in our journey toward Christ-likeness describe different manifestations of love. The step of godliness demonstrates our love for the Lord. I just touched that a little bit. The definition of godliness really is devotion to God. It's a step that shows that we love God so much, listen to me, that we love God so much that we have a fear, we have a fear of disappointing Him or disobeying Him in any way. No, no, no. We love Him so much that we have a fear of disappointing Him or disobeying Him. That, 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 that godliness and then the step of brotherly kindness demonstrates our love for the Lord's people. Oh, come on. Brotherly kindness is the unique affection which we owe to our fellow Christians as our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why it's so important for a church to have unity. That's why it's so important that we make sure that the air is clear between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why it's so important that if, if, if there's something between you and another, another brother or sister in Christ that God gave us Matthew 18 to, in a way that we can take care of that, that we might go to them and that we might get those things settled. Well, I just don't feel like doing that. Then you need to go back up here. Then you need to go back up here to godliness. Where, where you, no, 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 where you have a fear of disappointing God, because I guarantee you, God doesn't want you holding that anger and bitterness and, and whatever it might be in your heart against somebody else. He does not want that. God doesn't want that. Come on, we do the things that God would have us to do because, well, He's God and we're not. And He wants the best for our life. Well, this just doesn't seem like the right way. You're going to argue with God? You're going to say you know better than God? You're just going to do it your way whether God likes it or not? Come on, I'm not, look, not, no, no. I mean, there's a lot of people say, well, I tell you what, I'm just not going to do that. Well, how come? God's Word says you should do that. Well, I don't know, but that just doesn't seem to be right for me. I'm telling you, if God says that we're supposed to do it that way, it's right for you too. Oh, definitely so. Absolutely so. We're, we're, to, ha- we're, to, we're, to, we're to have that unique affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ, where we're willing to pray for them and be there for them and edify them and exhort them and whatever we need to do. And then the step of charity, it demonstrates our love for the lost. Our love for those that do not know the Lord. Our love for those that are outside the family of God. 
You know, Peter's already dealt with our love for God and our love for God's family. So charity in this context, excuse me, addresses our love for everyone else. Come on, for everyone else. But, but it should be understood that the, the godly love that charity describes is applied more broadly in the New Testament. I mean, you think about it, Paul uses it, in, in, uh, uses it of the love of a husband for his wife. And then in the first epistle, uh, Peter uses it to describe the love that we owe to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So the characteristics that define this love will be evident no matter to whom it's given. No matter to whom it's given. And tonight we're going to see that charity describes a love that goes beyond the bounds of, let's get, get this, it goes beyond the bounds of normal human affection. Because it's a divine love, agape love, a love that we get from God, that we are supposed to share with others. It goes beyond that. It's a godly love. It is, it is God's own love poured out through a surrendered human heart to lost men everywhere. Romans chapter 5 Verse 5, the last part of that verse says, Because the love of God which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. When you got saved by the grace of God, if you are truly saved by the grace of God, the love of God came in and it shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost of God when you got saved, when he moved in. No, it's in there. It really is in there. You may be determined not to let it out, but it is in there. One commentator said this, listen to this. He said, quote, what is sometimes called the missionary spirit is none other than that compassion which brought the Son of God from heaven gushing forth or overflowing from a human heart. Interest in lost men is not secured by any attempted development of human affections. It, however, will be immediately realized in a Christian heart when there is a right relationship to the Spirit of God. A love we can't understand. <clears throat> the step of uh, charity, it, it happens when we fulfill God's command to reach a lost world with the gospel. It, it's a step that creates in us a desire for others to be saved through our witness. That we're going to reach out to people. The love that compels us to seek and to save that which was lost just like Jesus did. A love that goes beyond ourselves. A love that's really hard to understand if we don't practice it. If we don't practice it. So we have to think about our capacity for charity. Because the kind of love that charity demands is impossible apart from the enabling of God's Spirit. But there's a significance to it because there is more than one kind of love, isn't there? Oh, come on. We use the term love for, for the affection that we have for our parents. We, we use the term love for the affection we have for our pets. We use the term love for the affection we have toward pizza. <laughs> Man, I just love this pizza. <laughs> Yet we know that the love that we have for our parents is different than the love we have for pizza. Hopefully. Hopefully it is. <laughs> you know, when the Bible was written, two separate terms could be used to express love. One defined human love. The, the, the capacity of one individual to be caring and compassionate towards another. And this is the term that is found in the word Philadelphia or brotherly love. And one defined the highest love. It was a love that was considered outside the bounds of human expression. It was considered ideal, but, but essentially impossible, an impossible level of love. And this is the term that is rendered charity in our Bible. 
which is translated from the Greek word agape. Agape love. God's love. The love wherewith he loved us. And the significance of charity is that it calls for a love that was considered beyond the capacity of human love. Come on, stay with me here. Don't get lost in this. The significance of charity is that it calls for a love that was considered beyond the capacity of human love. So we have to consider the source then. We know that charity, that love, originates with God. Listen to this. I'm going to read this to you out of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4 verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him here in His love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So get this. Charity is God's love perfected in us. Perfected in us. Um, Again, charity is already implanted in our heart. It's already there. I, I, I said that, that the last part of Romans chapter 5, verse 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So our capacity for charity, for love, it rests in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God who resides in our heart. Somebody say amen right there. Come on, you got saved by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit moved in. He's in there. So the love of God's already in there. It's already in there. And we know this, that charity is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22, the very first part of that verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. You thought it was a trick question, didn't you? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The human heart cannot produce charity. Get this, come on. The human heart cannot produce charity, this agape love, but it can experience it. It is the human expression of God's own love passing through the heart of a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> a lot of the time we have a hard time seeing beyond ourselves, don't we? And that's why God gave us His Spirit. Because we can't do the work of God. And we can't be who God would have us to be as His witnesses without His love. It's not going to happen. And that's why it's so important that we put God first. Because if we don't have God first, then we're more important. And if we're more important, then we don't see the need of showing God's love to anybody. I'll say it again. If, if, if we're first, if we put ourselves before God, then we don't see the need in showing God's love to anybody because, hey, I'm saved. I'm safe. God's forgiven me. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for anybody that can testify like that. I'm thankful I can stand up here and testify like that. But God saved us that we might be a light to this world. Salt to the earth. He saved us that we might uh, be thankful enough that we would share His love with somebody else. 
And so we have to be very, very careful, don't we? Come on. <clears throat> Add your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. What did you read that over for? Because we're to add these things. Okay. <clears throat> the love of God, that type of charity, it's not going to go out from us. Are you still with me? It's not going to go out from us unless we decide to let it out. Is it? No, no, we're challenged week after week. Brother Mike gets up and challenges us week after week to share the gospel with others. Get the gospel out, pass out tracts. Week after week. Guess who decides whether or not that happens? You do. You decide whether or not it happens. Oh, no, no, the track racks are full, both entryways. They're there. We try to keep them as full as possible. So you decide whether, you're not, whether or not you're going to take those. You decide whether or not you're going to invite anyone to church, pass out the gospel. You decide whether or not you're going to pray for others and then have an opportunity to sit down with them perhaps and talk to them about the Lord. You decide. No, no, you're the one that decides. And I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself that when I first got saved, I, I just couldn't wait to tell somebody. I, and I was telling strangers. It didn't matter, 7-Eleven. It didn't matter where I went. I was telling people about Jesus. It didn't matter. I didn't know what a gospel track was, Brother Cole. But man, oh man, oh man, I wanted people to know Jesus. Because of what he had done in my heart. Even though I was a long way from being what I should be, I'm a little closer now, but I wanted people to know about it. And so I let it out. Wasn't always comfortable letting it out, but I let it out. You know what that was, Jeremiah? It was the love of God. I let it out. You know what happens every time that I do that, even now to this day? Watch her feel good about it. No, no, not proud of myself. I'm not saying that. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, even just giving somebody a gospel track and inviting them to church, it's amazing how the Spirit of God is just like, yes, that's what you need to be doing. Sure. But we're not going to do it unless we choose to do it. We add that charity. 1 Corinthians 13, turn over there. <clears throat> Let's look briefly at the characteristics of charity. You like that word briefly, right? That's briefly. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Let's think about the excellence of it. God's love. Charity. This agape love. Let's think about the excellence of it first. Uh, look at verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So the Apostle Paul makes a point in verses 1 through, th uh, 1 through 3 that is very easily missed. He says this. Are you still with me? He says this. Though I exercise great spiritual gifts, but there's no charity in my actions, well, I am nothing. 
And though I make great personal sacrifices on behalf of others, but there's no charity in my actions, well, it profits, get this, get this, it profits me nothing. Profits me nothing. Now, why would, why would Paul say this? I mean, since when, is, since, since when is love about what I become? Or, 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 or what I do, or how, or how what I do profits me? Come on, stay with me here. Don't check out. I mean, isn't love supposed to be about the other person? And if so, why then does Paul demonstrate the excellence of charity by relating it to how it might benefit him? Charity or or love, agape love, is meant to touch others with the life-changing power of God's love. Come on, it's meant to it's meant to touch others with that life-changing power. Okay. Who in here would say that once you got saved that your life changed? Mercy sakes, that's what God does. He changes lives. And before before charity can make a difference in anyone else, it must first change me. If it doesn't change me. There's a lot of good charities out there, aren't there? Not talking about love anymore. Talking about charities. Come on, these these uh, different uh, different uh, institutions, these different these different. Uh, 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 my brain stopped. These different charities that go out and help people, that give them stuff, all that. There's different charities out there, isn't there? Charities you give to charity, they give out all that. They give and they give all this stuff. There's different charities. Some of them are even to an extent. Tied to churches. And people can make themselves feel really, really good just giving stuff out. Well, I'll give a little money so they can have some beans. I'll give a little money so they can have a warm coat. I'll give a little money so they can help them build them a house. Or preacher, is anything wrong with that? Oh, no, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. I, I think that we should help folks as God will lead us to help folks. I think we should do that. But if we're just doing it because to make ourselves feel better, we're missing out. We're missing out. Because a lot of those charities, they do a lot of that, but they never, ever mention the salvation that God so freely offers, do they? They never, ever mention that Jesus Christ died for those people's sin, do they? No. So, although all these different organizations uh, might raise a lot of money and get it out there and do good and all that, which I'm not against doing good. Don't get me wrong, but um, it doesn't equate with what God's teaching us here, does it? Come on, I'm not talking to the world right now. I'm talking to you and I that are saved by the grace of God. That's who God's addressing here. Before charity can make a difference in anyone else, it must change me. If my life has not been transformed by God's love, then it will lack the capacity to greatly change others. We have to let God change us. We will know that our lives have been changed by God's love when others see the characteristics of godly love displayed in the exercise of our gifts and the sacrifices we make. Listen, the sacrifices we make for the Lord. For the Lord. And we can see the expression of that right here. Look at verse number four, where we are. <clears throat> Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, 
doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So charity's long-suffering. What, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it's slow to become offended. No, no, it, it's slow to become irritated. It's long-suffering. Charity bears up the unbearable. But we have to practice that, don't we? It also says charity is kind. No matter how rude or unpleasant people may be, charity never displays itself in a mean-spirited way. Doesn't do that. No, we're talking about the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. Are y'all still with me? Somebody say amen. Oh, absolutely. No, 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 no. It's, it's the way it is. And guess what? Charity is not envious or boastful or, or proud. Charity's not in competition for anybody's, anybody's uh, applause or anybody's affection. No, 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 no. Nor is it hurt when it comes in second best. Well, I don't know why they don't ever, I don't, I don't know why they always get the recognition and I don't ever. You know, it's a whole lot better to know that we're going to be recognized by God than to get a pat on the back from somebody else. And I'm not against, I'm not against, I'm not against giving somebody a pat on the back when they deserve those things. I'm not against that. I'm not. But everything that we do, we're supposed to be doing for the Lord because of the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts and we're supposed to be letting it out. Also, charity does not behave itself unseemly. Uh, What do you mean, preacher? Well, it never steps outside the boundaries of that which is right doesn't step outside those boundaries. I don't know. Well, how come? Because uh, we're supposed to love God more than that. Come on, don't, back, don't make me back up and start over again. Charity doesn't look out for its own interest. Charity is not about getting. Charity is about giving. It's about giving. Charity, that that love of God, that God's love does not insist on getting its own way or or having its own needs. It's always focused toward others. How can I help somebody? What can I do for somebody else? How can I be a blessing to somebody? How can I help people that are halfway around the world? How can I help people in St. Joseph, America? How can I help people at my school? How can I help people at my workplace? How can I help people out on the street? How can I help people? Also says that charity is not easily provoked in the, in the face of great provocation. Charity remains calm and gentle and in control. Charity is also quick to forgive and to forget. No, no, no. It it doesn't dwell on the evil that others may have done. It lets it go. But you don't know what they... Stop. Don't try to justify it, holding on to it. Oh, no, no, no. Charity lets it go. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We're talking about the love of God. Come on, we're talking about becoming more like Christ. 
That's what real sanctification is all about. It's like coming more like Him. And Brother Rick, you know when He gets a hold of your heart, everything else starts changing. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hang on to hurts. or It doesn't try to get even. It doesn't try to keep score. No. Charity is virtuous. Virtuous. Verse 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Because see, this agape love, this charity grieves over sin. And it's always a champion of truth, a champion of right. I'm going to stand for what is right. It grieves over sin that's in the world, in its own life. But charity is also strong. Verse number seven, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. It has a unfailing, steadfast confidence in God. In God. No, it doesn't quit. It doesn't fall out. It no, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't quit. And standing for right, it's never sure how men might respond, but it's always sure that God's love will not fail. Well, I tried to share the gospel with somebody, and they just got really, really, really mad at me. God still loves you. Even though they got mad at you, maybe even cussed you, scorned you, whatever the case may be. I mean, wrote you off, whatever the case may be. God still loves you. No, no, if the love of God's coming out of you and people get upset about that, and they want to treat you all different ways, talk about you, tell lies about you, whatever the case may be, let me assure you, God still loves you. And it's all about Him. And when it ceases to be all about Him, we get in the way. But there's also an endurance to it. Look down at verse number 13. It says, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. See, because charity finds its source in God, it has the eternal abiding nature of God. The greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is love. No matter how backslidden we might be, no matter how far away from this we think we might be, that love is still there. It's just waiting to get out. It's just waiting for you to let it out. Men could kill Jesus, but they could not kill his love for them. As long as God exists, his love will abide in our hearts, giving us the capacity to show his love to others. And uh, I don't think anybody's going to wipe out God, do you? So what's the cause for charity? Here's the deal. Stay with me. Just, just, just a few more minutes here. God in His love has provided for the salvation of perishing people. God did that. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that, 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 that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
So God provided salvation. And then he sends us into this lost and dying world with the gospel that we might touch people's lives with his saving love. I've never saved anybody. But I can lead them to the one that can save them. If I choose to. If we choose to. And here's the thing. Now let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it up. This step of charity, agape love, it takes soul soul winning out of the sphere of mere obedience. And, And it makes it a matter of sharing with others the very heart of God and the very love of Christ. Come on, this isn't something that... No, no, listen to me. Please listen to me. This isn't something that we just... That we just come up with this certain formula and plan and we can say this thing to different people then get them to say this prayer or whatever the case may be. No, 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 no. This is the love of God that comes out of us that we take to other people and share that with them. Share the very love of Jesus Christ with them. And then we are no longer simply telling people how much God loves them. We are showing them how much God loves them. We're showing them. And for that reason, it's the highest form of Christian maturity. When we get to that place where we've just got to get the gospel out to somebody. Lord, give me an opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord. Open doors for me. Give me boldness of the Holy Ghost that I need that I might speak up and pass out tracts and invite people to church and tell them about Jesus Christ. Work such a work in my own life, in my own heart, that I've just got to let your love out. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, when we start looking outward more than we're looking inward, our whole life changes. Our whole life changes. But if it's all about you, then we're out of order, aren't we? More than faith, and now abideth, faith, hope, and charity. More than faith, more than hope. The greatest thing we can show an unbelieving world is charity. The love of God. <clears throat> I know this. Being saved now 37 years, I know this. Sanctification is a lifelong process. It certainly does not happen overnight. Does it? No. When we have added each of these qualities to our lives in some measure, none of them will perfectly conform to that of our Savior. What are you saying? I'm saying there's always going to be room for growth and maturity. Always. Until we leave this life. Always. Always. Well, I think I'm doing pretty good right where I'm at. You're missing it. I'm telling you, you're missing it. Whenever we plateau and don't feel like we need anything more, we're missing it. God always has more. In this life, the expectation of sanctification, listen to me, I'm I'm writing it down, is not perfection. 
Please get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. In this life, while we live this life, the expectation of sanctification that God has for us is not perfection. It's continued progress. Am I progressing? Am I growing to be more like Him? Is my desire growing at all to tell more people about Christ? We have to... We have to really be beware of complacency, of apathy. And like the Apostle Paul, always pressing toward the mark, trying to do more, trying to be more like him, always pressing toward the mark of this high and holy calling to be like our Savior. Because, well, that's what we're supposed to be conformed into His image, the image of Jesus Christ. That's all believers, all of us. We're to be conformed into. His image. Add to your faith. Where are you at? In your stage of Christianity, where are you at? I don't don't expect an answer, but I'd really like for you to think about it for a minute and be real honest with yourself and with God. Where Where are you at? Your level of Christianity. Look up here. Your level of Christianity, where is it? Where, where is God in your life? Is He, number one, like He should be? Or not? Is the love of God, uh, are you letting it out? Or not? I think we ought to measure ourselves according to what this says. And uh, when we're not measuring up, we ought to continue to seek the author and ask for his help to get to that place that he wants us to be. If you've closed yourself off, If it's always just about you and your little world, then you need to have a talk with the Lord. Because there's more to life, the Christian life, than that. Much more. Much, much more. Let's stand. Stand with me. Our heads are bowed.